The past two Sundays, we've taken a break from our 29-week journey through the New Testament book of Hebrews and the sermon series we've entitled The Supremacy of Christ. But this morning, in God's perfect and providential timing, we pick back up in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles or on your devices. If you're a device user, we use the English Standard Version of Scripture here and it might be helpful to follow along. Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. While you're turning there, remember with me that the book of Hebrews was originally written to strengthen the faith of a community of first century Jewish Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. And this point of the book of Hebrews is made especially clear to us in chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, we're told about a number of Old Testament figures who endured a myriad of challenges. And they endured those challenges not by the power of positive energy or self-determination, but by the power of simple faith in God. In their own times in their own ways, in the midst of their own circumstances. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab, well, they each believed that God is who he says he is. They believed that God would do all that he had promised to do. And as a result of those things, they each entrusted their selves to God despite the grim situations they faced. And that's what faith is. Right here, according to Hebrews 11, verse one, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I don't know what particular challenges you are facing in your life this morning. You're facing something, we all are. I don't know what your particular challenge is or challenges are. Maybe your unbelieving spouse is on the verge of leaving you. Maybe your kids are walking in the ways of the world. Maybe your health is on the decline. Maybe your job is in the balance. Maybe your house is nearing foreclosure. I don't know all the particular challenges you might be presently facing, but I do know this, thanks to Hebrews chapter 11, when the people of God set their gaze upon the promises of God, they can face anything that comes at them. When the people of God set their gaze on the promises of God, they can face anything when we rest in the assurance of what we hope for, when we conduct our ways and walk in the conviction of what we don't presently see, when we do those things, we are given the necessary grace to face seasons of abundance, yes, and seasons of need, seasons of health and seasons of sickness, seasons of victory, and seasons of defeat. Faith is what stabilizes the people of God. 
enabling us to echo the Apostle Paul's words. I have learned the secret to being content in all situations. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I know how to face plenty and I know how to face hunger. And I can do every single one of these things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you believe this? Do we believe this, church? This is what this passage right before us is about to, to sing to our hearts. So let's read together Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. The writer of Hebrews is in the middle of a thought. We're in the middle of the hall of faith. He's just been summoning our attention to all these men and women of the Old Testament who demonstrated faith in God. And now he continues in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. In that it is, it is your word inspired through the pens of men over the course of some 1,500 years. And Lord, this word right here is profitable to us. It's fitting. It can and will and must train us in righteousness. It can and will and must show us more about you and more about ourselves in light of you. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would teach us and conform us, that we would walk out of this place with faith like the spine of, an, of iron. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When my oldest daughter, Finley, was born, she had a number of allergies that required a lot of attention. And at that time, I was in leadership in a big church. And I'll never forget, after one of the gatherings, a woman in that church pulled Lindsay and me aside and, and said, you know, why Finley is suffering from so many allergies, right? It's because you don't have enough faith. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And if you've had the misfortune of being told something like that that is patently untrue, I'm sorry. 
You see, the irony, the truth, is that if my daughter's allergies were dependent upon the size and strength of my faith, she'd be in a lot worse shape. Because more often than not, on my best day, my faith is about as small as a mustard seed. But thanks be to Christ, a mustard seed is all that it takes to receive every last of heaven's promises. And that's what we see weaving through our passage this morning. There are several ways that we could break this passage down and examine it. But for the remainder of our time, let's take this passage in two parts. If you're a note taker, number one, our faith in God keeps us humble in moments of victory. Number two, our faith in God gives us courage in moments of defeat. Number one, our faith in God keeps us humble in moments of victory. Number two, our faith in God gives us courage in moments of defeat. Let's go to number one. Our faith in God keeps us humble in moments of victory. In verse 32, having already, having already written about the faith of Abel and Enoch and Noah and the rest, the writer of Hebrews, I think it's humorous, He's like, and what more shall I say? I mean, I know you're getting the picture and I'm running out of time on this particular topic, but while we're at it, here's just a few more names, a few more exemplars of faith from the Old Testament. Here's a few more examples of people who believed that God is who he says he is. People who believed that God would do all that he'd promised to do. And people who entrusted their selves, their well-being to God despite their undesirable situation. So by faith in God, Gideon, if you know the story, Gideon conquered the entire Midianite army with only 300 men. By faith in God, Barak overthrew the impossible swarms of Canaanites, wicked Canaanites. By faith in God, Samson defeated 3,000 Philistines while he was chained to two pillars. By faith in God, Jephthah triumphed over the Ammonites. And faith-fueled victories like these were also experienced by David and Samuel and many others. Verses 33 through 35, kingdoms were conquered this is why we're creatures of the word. We read the Old Testament and cherish it and we learn by faith kingdoms were conquered. Look at that. Justice was enforced. Look at that. Promises were obtained. The mouths of lions were stopped. Fire and sword was escaped. The weak were made strong and some, specifically the women who were ministered to by the prophets Elijah and Elisha, some received back their children from the dead. And all of these things happened not because any of these people was particularly virtuous or resourceful or impressive. In fact, each of these people, if we were to do a character study of each of these names, each of these people was emphatically unimpressive. And yet, in these moments... 
in these particular moments that we read about, these ordinary people, these largely unheroic, fearful, doubtful, disbelieving people, when they had nowhere else to turn, I think of Samson chained up before the Philistines. Samson, you know, he pulled out from his pocket this tiny little mustard seed. And he had nowhere else to turn. And he entrusted himself to the creator God who is who he says he is. It is this kind of faith that makes really unimpressive people such as me safe candidates for impressive victories. And, 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 and you as well. Because when unimpressive people who just with a tiny mustard seed hope in the Lord and he wins the battle through them, when that happens, those individuals with the tiny little mustard seed are not tempted to give themselves the glory. It is beyond dispute. The, the, the battle belonged to the Lord. He won. He did it. Brothers and sisters, here's the question that this passage, this part of the passage begs for us. What battles are you facing today? And there is no guarantee here. Triumph. But may we nevertheless, may these verses nevertheless move us to take up the sword of the word of God and the strong shield of faith in God. May these verses move us to summon a battalion of saints to our living rooms in order to call together to the mighty one who calls the stars by name. May these verses move us to entrust ourselves and our frightful situations to the Lord our God because he cares for us. And he not only cares for us, but he determines where the oceans will start and stop. He's in control. The impossible battles are the ones that God longs for us to entrust him with because when our sons and daughters surrender their lives to Christ, when our jobs are spared and we're able to pay our rent, when our mission becomes fully funded and we're able to go out and share the good news abroad, when these things happen, these impossible battles like these are the ones that God longs for us to entrust him with because on the other side of it, beyond any shadow of a doubt, God himself brought about the victory. He loves that. Glory to his name. This is how faith in God keeps us humble in moments of victory. Man, if you're doing really, really, really well at your job right now, maybe you own a company, maybe you're standing on a mountaintop, maybe vacations are in your future and all things are well right now. Oh, 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 guard that heart. And remember from whom every blessing comes. 
Faith in God keeps us humble in moments of victory. Hallelujah. Point number one. Point number two, faith in God gives us courage in moments of defeat. No one that I know of, including myself, likes to talk about defeat. And yet, in the second half of verse 35 here right in front of us, second half of 35 through 38, we're reminded of something that we're actually all too familiar with. Moments of defeat come just as frequently, if not more frequently, than moments of victory. I mean, the promise, the guarantee is laid out, you know, by Christ in is it John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, tribulation, but, 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 take heart, because I've overcome the world. But you will have tribulation, but the tribulation doesn't, doesn't have the last word. Some of the Old Testament figures here, the writer of Hebrews draws our attention. Some of them were tortured and killed. Some of them were mocked and flogged and shackled and imprisoned. Some of them were stoned to death. I think of the New Testament example of Stephen, the deacon. Some of them were sawn in two. Some of them were stripped of their clothing and their money and their homes and their dignity and their relationships. Some of them were abandoned by friends, by family, by mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters, and they were abandoned. They lost those relationships not because of a lack of faith in God, but precisely because of their faith in God. These individuals refused to compromise. It was costly. And what's especially appreciable about these Old Testament folks is what we actually are reminded of in verse 39 and 40. All these Old Testament exemplars of the faith were underneath the old Mosaic covenant. And that's what, here's what this means. The, the Messiah hadn't even entered the story yet. And yet, they believed that he would. To the salvation of their souls, they believed with mustard seed faith that all the shadows and types and figures of the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the high priests, etc., they believe with mustard seed faith that those, that those shadows, types, and figures would soon be fulfilled and brought to completion by the perfect sacrifice, the great high priest, Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior to the world, their mustard seed faith was fixed on the to-be-fulfilled promises of God. But brothers and sisters in the new covenant, yours and my mustard seed faith has more to grab hold of. Yours and my mustard seed faith can now be fixed upon the already fulfilled promises of God in Christ. Because Christ has come, Jesus has come, 
He has lived and died and risen and ascended and sent his spirit to advocate the truth of himself to our hearts and minds. He has come on behalf of our triune creator God who is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love. He, Christ, has come to lift up the weak and the weary. He has come to bind up the brokenhearted. He has come to raise the sick, to free the captive. He has come to overturn the schemes of the enemy. He has come to assure us that even death, as fierce as it may seem, Even death has been and will be swallowed up in victory. He has come to save those, hallelujah, who know they are unimpressive. Those who are bankrupt in spirit. Those whose best day, all I have to offer you, Lord, for my sin and my salvation is my nothing. That's all I have to offer you. I have nothing. He's come to save those who know they are unimpressive. Those who know that on account of their sin, hear this, they deserve far worse than the troubles they face in this life. On account of my sin, I deserve, what I deserve is far worse than my worst day. And Jesus has come that I might entrust myself and you might entrust yourself to his righteous life lived on your behalf, you didn't live it. I didn't live it. I disobey every hour. He lived it. And he lived it in my place and yours. And then Jesus came and he died the death on the cross that I rightly deserve for all of my impure and selfish and, and sick thoughts, words, motives, and attitudes and actions. And then... Three days, that's all it took in victorious resurrection life. Now Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father saying, come to me, all of you who are unimpressive, and I'll give you life. And this is balm to my, this is comforting to my soul. I was diagnosed with cancer two weeks ago. Chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And it's chronic, so it's slower going. Hallelujah. Untreatable, but slower going. And I think of sitting with Carl Rehm, us elders, we just went, what, three weeks ago? We anointed Carl with oil, we laid hands upon him, and he and Alice's living room, and we prayed, and man, what I saw in that brother's eyes was this fierce commitment that, in, Christ, that in, de in life or death, Christ, Christ our hope in life and death, Chris. Christ our hope. For me to live is, to, to live is great. It's Christ. To die is gain. 
sweep mercy. When the people of God set their gaze upon the promise of God, we can face anything that comes our way. Our hat doesn't hang upon what is seen. It hangs upon what is not seen. And I've been praying a lot, and I think we should pray a lot. I know that Carl prayed a lot, the, the Garden of Gethsemane prayer. I know not of a more beautiful prayer in all of Scripture than when Jesus, sweating like drops of blood, was so stressed out about the cross that he was about to face that he got down on his knees in the garden and he said, Father, this is the humanity of Jesus. Father, if there's another way that this cup of the cross could pass, then let that be. But if not, your will be done because it's good. And we may not understand it, but it's always on time. It's always done in the right way. It's always perfect. And I, I once heard Tim Keller, the pastor, preach this, and I hang on to this like crazy. And I think it's a summary of Romans 8 and Ephesians 1. Pastor Kel Tim Keller, who has since passed away from pancreatic cancer, once said this, God will only ever give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. If you could only peer for one second through his eyes, even your worst day in this life, you would still ask for because of the good that he would marvelously bring from it. I think of Joseph in Genesis 37 through 50. Joseph's beaten up and sold into slavery by his brothers. He's sold to Egypt. Years later, his brothers come begging for food. They don't know they're talking to their brother. When they find out they're talking to their brother, they become so afraid and they say, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, have mercy. And what Joseph, man, I love this faith. What Joseph tells his brothers is, be still. For what you had at one time meant for my evil, for my bad, for my, what you, what you meant for evil, God simultaneously meant for good. It's, it's all okay. Last I checked, now it's Chris, not Joseph. Last I checked, Jesus got up out of the tomb, right? And so if Jesus got up out of the tomb, doesn't that then preach to my heart? It's all gonna be wonderfully okay. Christ, our hope in life and death. And I'm comforted by 1 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For this light and momentary affliction, we're still under point two. You know, our faith in God gives us this kind of courage that Paul writes with. It gives us this kind of courage in moments of defeat. For this light and momentary affliction, brother, sister, whatever it is that you're facing, you're facing something substantial. This light and momentary affliction, whew, what it's actually doing in you and in me is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. We're looking to the things that are not seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are, un that, that are seen, they're transient, they're temporal. I mean, Paul even goes on to say that these, these light and momentary afflictions are gonna be a blip on the radar in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that awaits all those who call in neediness upon the name of Jesus. 
Don't look too closely at what is temporal. This is what our faith gives us courage to face. In moments of defeat, this defeat does not have the last word. And so maybe, brother or sister, maybe, maybe your unbelieving spouse is on the verge of leaving you. Kids walking waywardly, health on the decline, job in the balance, house nearing foreclosure. You insert there, whatever the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind right now, insert that. I don't know what particular challenge it is, but I do know from Hebrews chapter 11, when... The people of God set their gaze upon the promises of God. They can face anything. Life and death. Abundance and need. Plenty and hunger. And we can do it all, gosh darn it, through Christ who strengthens us. And that internal Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent to indwell us to testify to our hearts and minds right now. If Jesus got up from the dead, and he did, spoiler alert, it's going to be okay. We have his word. Let's pray. And we'll continue to sing a very fitting song, Christ our hope in life and death. Father God, by your spirit, the spirit of God, would you direct our gaze to the son of God, our great sacrifice, our great high priest, the great one who right now stands, sits rather, his work is completed, he sits at your right hand, Father, advocating for us and your spirit strengthening us. Oh Lord, I pray that you would strengthen weak knees, that you would lift drooping hands and that you would raise up our chins, that we would behold the shield who is our God who is about us, our glory and the lifter of our head, that when we gaze upon you and all the eternal promises that find their yes in Jesus, we can face anything. And that's not even a motivational TED talk. That's just the word. That's your word. That's your promise. We're not here to motivate or inspire anybody. We're here to give them the truth that we would chew on it and digest it and come what may in this culture that is growing increasingly hate-filled toward you and your truth, oh, that we would be ready to shine your light in the dark space for your glory, for our joy. In our confidence in Christ, we give you thanks and prayer in Jesus' name, amen.